Good morning. I want to start actually with a memory verse for us. This is going to be our memory verse for the month of July. And the memory verse that I have for us is Colossians 3.23. So if you would recite with me Colossians 3.23. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Colossians 3.23. My youngest brother is uh, in the Air Force, and he is entirely Air Force. And I wanted to share with you the Air Force motto that uh, when he was at the academy especially, he really had to focus in on and, and would recite quite often. Integrity first, service before self, excellence in all we do. Integrity first. Our integrity... The Air Force would claim our integrity matters. We have to do what we say we do. We have to follow the rules. We have to be above reproach. Service before self. If you're in the Air Force, you're expected to serve. You're expected to put the service above others. And then the last one is the one that I think is really cool. Excellence in all we do. Excellence. We should strive for excellence. Mediocre doesn't cut it. Excellence in all we do. This is, I think, a motto that Christian organizations could adopt and would fit quite well. As Christians, as a church, as individuals who follow Christ, integrity should be our drum that we march to. Everything we do should be done with integrity. Service before self. We should put God before ourselves and serving our God before ourselves. And the third one is the one that, unfortunately, I think sometimes we as Christians fail at. Excellence in all we do. I, uh, I will tell you, when I look at Sunday school curriculums, so I used to do a lot of curriculum at the university. When I look at Sunday school curriculums, oftentimes, honestly, they lack excellence. When I look at a lot of things that churches do, sometimes we lack excellence. We should strive for excellence. And that's what the book of Malachi is pushing us towards, is excellence in all we do. Don't just go through the motions, strive for excellence. So why the book of Malachi? Well, let me give you a little bit of background before we get into the passage, and then we'll dig into it. The book of Malachi was written sometime, we're not entirely sure, but sometime between like 450 and 430 BC. Remember, we were just in the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai, written around 515, 520 to 515 BC, was written for a people that needed to get to work and complete the temple. They needed to finish the work. Remember, Cyrus had given an order given an allowance to return back to the land and build the temple in 539 BC. 16 years later, the temple had not really been started on in any substantial way. Haggai enters the scene in 520 and he says, it is time to get to work. Finish what you started. And by 515 BC, the temple was complete. Now, nearly 100 years later, Malachi enters the scene. Because the people had grown complacent. Excellence no longer marked their work. Mediocrity reigned. Going through the motions reigned. 
And so as I was thinking about what I should preach on in July, I'm not saying that we're being mediocre. I think we are being excellent in all, in all we do. But as I was thinking, I thought, July should be a set of sermons that prepares us for the next 30 years after we complete the construction project. What do we need to watch out for? After they completed the temple, where did the Jews struggle? What were the mistakes that they made? And can we learn something from their mistakes so that as we get back into the sanctuary, we can strive for excellence? We can learn from the mistakes that the Jews had made. So that is the book of Malachi. Let's read through Malachi chapter 1. A prophecy. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I've turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we've been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now, plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled and its food contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Malachi 1.1, before we even get into the main points, Malachi 1.1 begins by saying a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Now, the word that we translate in our NIV as prophecy is the Hebrew word Massah, and it actually really means burden. It's something heavy. It's actually kind of a threatening word. Um, 
like, oh, I'm, I'm weighed down by this. It, it, it's got this negative connotation. Uh, prophecy is kind of taken a little bit too lightly. Malachi saying, God has placed this heavy weight on my shoulders. I need to tell you because it is bearing me down. The truth of what God has for you is heavy on my shoulders. What is this burden? It's Devar Yahweh, the word of the Lord. God's very words for Malachi are a burden because the people need to hear what God has to say. The people need to listen to God because what he's about to share with them is significant. Now, we're going to go about this passage in a little bit of a different way. We're going to go out of order because I think for what we're doing, that makes sense. So we're going to start with verses 6 through 9. And what I want you to see is the first principle that Malachi shares. The first principle is that God is worthy of honor and his people regularly fail to show that honor. God is worthy of honor, but his people regularly fail to show the honor. That's what was happening in verses six through nine. How? How was it coming out? Well, first of all, God uses an example. You see, showing honor to God is a natural expected response to the God of the universe. In our sin nature, we fight against it. But it's a sort of natural expected thing. If the God of the universe is truly the God of the universe, showing honor to God should be the natural thing. And Malachi explains this by talking about some natural honor relationships that occur in life. There are natural things And anything outside of that is an exception. An example to this. Sons honor their fathers. That is the natural course of things. If a son is not honoring his father, we say something's wrong. Right? Either something's wrong with the son or something's wrong with the father. The relationship is broken. The natural way things work is that sons honor their fathers. At this time in history, there were slaves and masters. And a natural way in which a slave interacted with their master was a slave honored their master. It is natural for us to show honor to God. Sin gets in the way, but God's worthy of that honor. And so what God is saying here in the first couple of verses is the natural order of things, the way things are supposed to work is you should show me honor. You're not. So what's wrong? What's going on that's preventing you from showing me honor? Well, the response of the people is um, really kind of to ask dumb questions. Okay? Have you ever been told that there's no such thing as a stupid question? There is. <laughs> okay? There are dumb questions. Sorry, I hate to break it to you. But the priests ask, how, God, how are we not showing you honor? And the answer is simple. When you give me, when you offer me anything less than your best, you fail to show honor. Anything less than your best is a failure to show God honor. 
You write a book and you just sort of wing it, it fails to show God honor. This is my sort of complaint with a lot of Christian materials out there. They could be done a lot better. They're not the best. As a church, we need to be giving God our best. Malachi holds no punches. He says the problem starts at the top. Malachi goes right after the priests. The priest's job should have been to lead people in giving their best. And instead, the priests are holding the people back from giving their best. They are not leading by example. And they continue to ask dumb questions. Well, how, God? What are we doing wrong? You're offering defiled sacrifices. Leviticus 22, 17 through 30 tells you, you must offer things without blemish. And you're choosing to offer things that are blemished. Well, how have we defiled you, God? Here's the interesting thing. If you look at the priest's questions here, they never say, we're not doing that. If you look at it, look at the questions. So, for example, if you want to look at verse 6, how have we shown contempt in your name? How have we defiled you? They don't say, God, we're not showing contempt. They don't say, God, we're not defiling you. No, they say, well, God, you know, why don't you point it out to us? Show us. We're not going to deny it, but we're going to make you go through the work. The reality is, the people were simply going through the motions. They were going through the motions of sacrifice. They were going through the motions of ritual. But they weren't doing it properly. They weren't doing it out of a heart that loved God. It gets even worse. In verses 8 and 9, the point that Malachi makes is it's not just that you're not giving your best, but it's actually a little bit worse because we know how to give our best to God, so we should give it to him. The people knew how to give their best. How did Malachi know this? Because they were giving their king, their governor, their best. Malachi says, you know how to do it because I see you do it every day when the king comes to town and you give him the best. In fact, Malachi says, take it a step further. Go ahead and give him your garbage and see how that goes for you. Give it a try. See how that works for you. No, the command is to give our best. Sometimes I wonder if we were to pay our taxes or approach our taxes the way we approach tithing, how many of us would be in a lot of serious trouble? Right? Maybe, maybe this year you should try this. Write a letter to the IRS and tell them that I was going to pay my taxes, but instead I spent it all before I paid it. So I'll get you next year. <laughs> it's not going to work. Don't do that, okay? Just to make it clear, I am not actually wanting you to do that. No, we know how to give our best. We do it. When it's something that we love, we give our best. When it's something we're required to do by law, we give our best. We know how to give our best. So my action step. Evaluate your own efforts. Does it represent your best? Is it truly your best?
I want to tell you a story. And uh, the parties involved are no longer with us, so I don't think I'm causing any problems with this one. Um, and they're not in Nebraska either. Growing up, I grew up in the pastor's family. My dad was the pastor. And uh, we had a family that owned a cattle ranch. And so every year, that family would provide us with a cow, uh, which was great. Um, when Emily and I got married, I was surprised we didn't have steak three meals a week. Um, because that was normal for us, because we had a, a big cow every year. Well, there was another family that um, I guess was trying to compete, which is a, a terrible way to go about things, just for the record. But they didn't have a cattle ranch. And so what they did is they actually went to the food bank at the closing time, and they picked up the expired food that wasn't left on the shelves for the food bank anymore, and then they would bring it by our house and drop it off for us. Okay? It wasn't their best. And while I don't hold any grudges, it sticks in my mind as an example of someone that, you know, they wanted to go through the motions, but it wasn't their best. And I actually remember taking a loaf of bread and banging it against the counter to see how many shots it would take to break it in half. <laughs> it wasn't their best. It was a defiled sacrifice. God wants our best. So we need to evaluate our efforts. Does it represent the best? Principle two. How many in verses 10 through 14? A wrong heart and anything less than your best is not really any better than doing nothing. And this is really harsh, and I know it is. But this is the truth that I see in the passage. A wrong heart and anything less than your best is not really any better than doing nothing. Have you ever heard the phrase, something is better than nothing? Also a false statement. That's what the passage says. Look at, look at what's going on in verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple door so you would not light useless fires on my altar. God's literally saying, stop making these useless sacrifices. It would be better if we just locked up the temple so that you weren't wasting your time or mine with this. Because God wants our best. Wrong sacrifice is just as bad as no sacrifice. And maybe worse. Why? Why is that the case? That seems awful harsh. Because of a theological principle. Here's the theological principle. Worship that does not properly acknowledge God as the God of the universe is not worship of God. Let me say that again. Worship that does not properly acknowledge God as the God of the universe is not worship of God. You see, God is the God of the universe, the Almighty. If we are worshiping anything less than God, that's called idolatry, right? Anything less than God is not God. And so if we're worshiping with less than our best, we're actually not really worshiping God. We're actually worshiping ourselves most of the time. And that's idolatry. And so the principle is that wrong sacrifice is just as bad as no sacrifice and maybe 
worse. Why would that be the case? Well, in verse 11, what I'm reminded of is that God does not need sacrifice in order to receive honor. After all, he is God. God does not need our sacrifice. That's the reality of it. We worship the God of the universe. He doesn't need us to worship him. His name is great. His domain is vast. He doesn't need us to tell him that. He knows that. He's capable of, and one day we'll make sure that he is properly worshipped. He's capable of drawing all nations to himself. So God doesn't need our worship. Rather, our worship, turns out, is in honor of God and changes us and puts us in the right state of submitting to God. Some people might say, at least I'm worshiping God a little bit, right? At least I'm trying, right? No, God doesn't need a little bit of worship. That's not how it works. It's not like if we all worship just a little bit, then at least God's getting a little bit of worship. No, God needs our best. He doesn't actually need it. He wants, he desires, and it reflects our love of God. Ultimately, sacrifice with the wrong heart profanes the sacrifice. See, the priests had a problem. They recognized in their heart, in their heart of hearts, they recognized that what God really expected was their best. But guess what? If you give your best to God, you will make a sacrifice. If you truly give your best to God, it will be a sacrifice. And what do I mean by that? You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to give up things that otherwise you might be able to spend on yourselves. You're going to have to give up time that otherwise you might spend with your family. You're going to have to give up money that otherwise you might spend on enjoyment. You're going to have to give of your best, and it might hurt a little. And the priests, knowing this, start treating God's sacrifices with contempt. Their hearts are wrong. Their wrong hearts lead them to hold the sacrifices in contempt. You know, that steak smells really good. I'd rather eat it. I can't believe I'm giving this up to God. That leads to, well, let's just take that steak off the grill and, you know, throw this other piece, you know, throw the liver up there. Nobody likes liver. <laughs> and that eventually leads to, you know, that cow looks really good for eating. That cow, not so much. Why don't we sacrifice that cow? And the best eventually works its way to become the garbage. And that's the message that Malachi is speaking against. Sacrifice with less than the best is cheating God. So why, why this sermon as we think about moving into the sanctuary? Why this book for the month of July as we think about moving into the sanctuary? Because I want us to be on guard. Because it's going to be really exciting on August 20th. And it's going to be really exciting on August 19th. 
Are we going to be like, you know, I made those pledges to the church, but that was a couple of years ago, and I just, I'd rather, you know, go out and have some extra ice cream this month. (laughs) No, our best should be reserved for God. And even decades after the temple was completed, God wanted the people's best. And years after we are done with the remodel of the sanctuary, God still is going to want our best. And we should still give our best to God. So my action step, ask God to soften your heart. And you might think, well, I don't have a hard heart. Here's my statement. I think saying I don't have a hard heart is itself evidence of a hard heart. (laughs) Ask God to soften your heart. Where are you withholding your best from God? We need to give our best to our God. All right, we went through the the sort of hard verses there. Now I want to jump up to verses two through six. We skipped over those. Why? You see, Malachi frames it this way. He says, here is all you need to know about God. Therefore, here are the things you're doing wrong. I wanted to go a little bit different. I wanted to say, here are the things we need to do, make sure we're doing right. And why? Because here is our God, our motivation. God makes offering your best worthwhile. God makes it worthwhile to give your best. Why? First of all, God's love is of first importance. Verse 2 starts, I have loved you, says the Lord. English is somewhat limited in what we can convey compared to different languages. We can convey lots of things that are useful for our, our world, but what God is actually saying is he's using what's called a CalPerfect, which means I have loved you in the past and continue to do so today in the same way. That's really what's being said there. I loved you in the past and I continue to love you in the same way. My love that I showed you in the past is the same as it was in the past. I have loved you, says the Lord. It is worthwhile to give God our best because of God's love. God's love frames everything. God loves you. And I want to make that very clear today. God loves you. If you have accepted Jesus as your savior, you have a relationship with God. But even if you have not, God loves you and wants that relationship with you. Do the people dispute this? They say, how have you loved us? How have you loved us, God? You might be here today and you might question God's love. You might say, I've done some bad things in the past. How could God possibly love me? Maybe something you've done leads you to doubt God's love for you. Maybe something that's happened to you in life leads you to doubt God's love for you. Maybe your recent past, you haven't had a closeness with God, and that leads you to doubt God's love for you. Verse 2 is really, really straightforward. To that, God's initial statement is, I have loved you. 
The people ask, but how? How have you loved us? The answer is, comes from an example. The response is that even though some might doubt God's ability to honor his promises, his promise was secure. And God's promise demonstrates his love. God's promise demonstrates his love. If you are doubting God's love, the thing you need to know most of all is God's promise to love you. How is that promise fulfilled? That promise is fulfilled in Jesus. God sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for sin. So think of that worst sin that you've ever committed. That thing that is absolutely devastating, that you don't want anybody else to know about. Jesus died and paid for that sin. And that is God's love demonstrated. In this passage here, God demonstrates his love through a promise. It says, there were two sons, Jacob and Esau. God chose to love Jacob. Now, we could make a lot of the love-hate here. I don't think that's the point of the passage. The point is not that God hates Esau. That's not at all what God's trying to go for here. Rather, the point is a comparison. God's love for Jacob is so profound that Esau does, can't even touch that amount of love, that relationship. That's the point that's going on here in this love-hate comparison. God says, I loved Jacob. I brought them out of Egypt. I brought them into the promised land. I allowed Jacob to prosper. Edom tried. They couldn't hold a candle to what I blessed Jacob with. Both Israel, Jacob, and Edom, God chose Israel and God loves Israel. Similarly, God need to accept Jesus' payment on the cross for that sin. And he promises you, if you accept that payment on the cross, eternal life. Verse 5 ends with, you will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. The point here is that God's not bound by anything. His love is not binding. Sorry, is not bound. It is binding. His love is not bound by anything. God's love makes offering your best worthwhile. So it started with God's love. The Malachi went into two principles. A wrong heart and failing to show honor are problems. A wrong heart and failing to show honor are serious problems. So why is it worth the effort to fix your heart? Why is it worth the effort to honor God? And the answer is God's love. So, my action step. This week, 
today. Spend some time praising God for his love for you. And here's what I think you will find. If you engage in this act of praising God for his love, I think you will find it much easier to show God honor, true honor. I think you will find it much easier to make sacrifice with the right heart. Everything should be framed in God's love. And then I think you will find our actions are right before God. So how do we make it through the next 30 years once we move into the sanctuary? We consistently and regularly remind ourselves of God's loyal love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your unfailing, loyal love. Your love that sent Jesus to die on the cross. Your love that offers salvation to each and every one of us. Father, I pray that we would never lose sight of your love. I find it interesting that Malachi begins with the burden of the Lord, a word from God. And then, so what is that word? I have loved you. Father, we know you love us. May we not forget that. May we keep our focus always on the love that you have for us. May our sacrifices be worthy of you. May our heart attitudes focus on that love and hence honor you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.